take our Bibles to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. We're going to continue this morning. Um, we haven't been here since before Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving. So it's been going almost two months. And uh, the last thing we looked at here was Jesus talking about divorce and marriage and those areas. And so I remember that sermon quite well. I don't know if anybody else does, but I do. And so we're going to look today down at verse number 17 of Mark chapter number 10. And we'll dive right in today to the scriptures. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him. Now this is a bold statement by this guy to Jesus. Look at what he says right here. Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I've done all of them. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And look at, I love Jesus' response. Jesus could have just shook his head and been like, dude, you need some help. But it says Jesus loved him. And as we read there, it says, And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have together in your word. I thank you for this passage. Thank you for the book of Mark, and that we're back here and going to be here to finish it up now. I pray that you would guide our thoughts today, guide all that's said. We love you. We need you. Help us today, and help this passage that you would work on our hearts. And in the room today, I know most are saved and we look at this passage, but even those that are saved, there's still so much that we could get from this passage today. I pray that you just help and bless this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ever met somebody that just, it seemed like they had everything? They had the house. They had the car. They got the girl. They had everything. This young man that we look at in this passage this morning he literally had everything, but he was missing the most important thing. In the world's eyes, this man had accomplished, and he was in a good spot. He was still young, there was still, and he had everything he could possibly want. He had a lot of great possessions, the scripture tells us. But just because he had everything that this world thought you need, he was missing the most important thing in his life. As we look here this morning, other Gospels tell us this passage as well. So there are some things that we know about this young man that I want to give you before we dive in further. The first thing is, when we think about this young man, we see that he was wealthy. He was wealthy. The Bible says that he had great possessions. Luke 18, verse 23 lets us know that he was very rich. This guy was well off. He was wealthy. He had a lot of possessions. And not just possessions, he had great possessions. And so this man was very wealthy. The second thing we see about this man was that he was healthy. 
When he comes to town, he is able to run to Jesus, it says here, run over to him, and he was able to kneel down. And so this young man not only was wealthy, he was healthy on top of that. And sometimes you might say, um, I didn't even think about that. There's lots of things we don't always think of, but he ran to Jesus, so that shows something there. Number three, he was young. The Bible says that. And in Matthew 19, 22, it adds that he was a young man. And this was used for someone in their 20s or 30s. So I like that. I'm in my 30s. I'm still a young man. And so that threshold will change soon, but that's okay. I'll take it as long as possible. The other day, it had been probably two years since I, was, I did a wedding, and this, uh, the family member was like, you, you're awful young to be a pastor. And I'm like, you have no idea how long I've wanted to hear that again. It used to be about 10 years ago. That's all I heard from everybody. You're, you're too young to be a pastor, da-da-da-da-da. I've not heard that in a long time. And so when they said that, I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. It's funny, when I used to hear it, I'm like, just shut up. Just quit saying that. And then now it's like, I like to hear it. And, but this man was young. He was wealthy. He was healthy. The Bible also tells us that he was powerful. That he was a ruler. In Luke 18, 18, the Bible tells us he's a ruler and this word was used of someone in a, like a synagogue leader or a member of the Sanhedrin. Maybe he's a part of the Jewish Supreme Court, but he was a ruler of some sort. Not only was he powerful, but number five, he was humble. He dropped to his knees in front of Jesus. Now, did he drop in front of his knees at Jesus' feet because he knew that he was in front of Jesus, or why did he do it? But kneeling down before someone is a sign of humility. Number six, he was earnest. He sought to ask Jesus a question. The tense of the idea was he was asking, meaning he was persistent and he wanted an answer to his question from Jesus. Number seven, when we talk about this young man, we see that he was respectful. He refers to Jesus as good master or good teacher is what that means. He comes to him in a respectful way. We also see number eight, as we continue about this man, we see that he was kind of unsatisfied because... He was coming to Jesus. He's like, he had plenty of possessions, had everything. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And though he had this long resume of being wealthy, being young, being powerful, having all these things, he was not happy where he was at, and he was looking for something more. The, he was moral, but he was missing something. There was something he was not satisfied. He had, and let me just remind you this morning, possessions will not satisfy. You will not find your satisfaction in things. Things do not produce satisfaction. You can find satisfaction in Jesus Christ and in him alone. This man was also number nine. He was determined. And even though, as we look at it, he was willing to do whatever he needed to do. What do I got to do to get eternal life? His goal was he wanted eternal life. He was determined. And number ten, we see that he was eternity focused. You know, he's young. A lot of young people, they don't really think too much about where their eternity is going to be spent at their younger age. This man was focused on that. What do I have to do to get eternal life? We see this is quite, this is the question. This is what he wanted to know. So as we look at this passage this morning, we see a young man who had great possessions. He was healthy. He was young. He was powerful. He was humble. He was earnest. He was respectful. He was unsatisfied, determined and eternity focused. And we see, and when we look at this passage, we see a man who had his life pretty well together running to the one who could give him the answers he needed for his life as we look at this passage. 
he starts out, and as we dive into the message today, we're going to look at several things. But as we start out this morning, I want to start out on point number one about the fact that God is good. Now, as we look at this passage and it begins, this man comes before Jesus. He runs to him. He kneels before him. And he asked, and he, sa and he said this. He said, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He starts out by calling Jesus good. Maybe he was hoping that Jesus wouldn't return and say, you know, I'm doing good. How are you, good young ruler? Or I don't know what the man was wanting in return, whatever the case may be. But he had just complimented Jesus. It'd be expected. What was Jesus' response here, though? We look at the next verse, and it says, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? For there is none good but one, and that is God. What a way to start out a conversation, right? Hey, good master, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and it's God. And you might look at that and be like, Well, he is God, so what is he trying to say there? And when we look at that, his answer might surprise you, and you might think that, but instead of answering this young man's question, we see the fact that Jesus makes the man realize the essence of goodness, where goodness comes from. You got to understand, this young man, in just a minute, is basically going to say that he's good because he's kept all the laws. But I want you to understand something this morning. There is only one that is good. God is good. That's what the Bible teaches us, and that's what we know. Think about what the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. God is good. We are not. And when we can settle that and understand that, it will help us so much in our lives. You realize today, us that are saved, God doesn't look at our goodness and that's what pacifies God. God looks at the goodness of Jesus Christ in our life and looks at his righteousness, and that's how we are satisfied in God's sight. You see, I love that saying, God is good. And I'm, all the time and all the time, God is good. God is good today. In the, in the definite sense of the word, Jesus could not be good if he were mere man. Only God is good, and that could only mean one thing. Jesus could not be good unless he is God, which he is, and that's what we see before our eyes. There are some liberal commentators out there that will look at this and say that Jesus himself is denying his deity in this passage, and those liberal commentators can just go, I don't know what they can do, they can go, go figure things out, but you've got to understand what Jesus is doing here is he's equating himself to God. If you look at this, what it truly means, and you understand the fact that only God is good, therefore, if you're calling me good, then you're calling me God. That's what Jesus was saying to him. So we see number one as we dive in today that God is good, and only God is good. Get that straight today. Number two, we are not good. What a point, right? Isn't that pretty simple? I think we can understand the message today, okay? God is good. We are not good. And when you start thinking you're good, you've you got to really watch out for that. Because inside of us dwelleth no good thing, the scripture says, right? Because of sin and because of what's taken place, we are not good. The new man in Jesus Christ, he's good. But as long as we live here in this world, the old man and the new man battle with one another. And so we got to realize this fact. God is good. We are not good. And I think that that should be self-explanatory, and we already understand that. 
Jesus was making this point to the young man as we see, because this young man was not good. Only God is good. This young man, his concept of what good was is mistaken. It is not what it should be. It's clouded. His, if his perception is clouded of Jesus, and it's clouded of his understanding of himself, until this young man could see Jesus as God and being good, he could never see the fact that he's not good. Because what we do is, and we even do it today, we look at others for our standard of what good is. Well, I'm better than they are, so that makes me good. No, there's one standard for goodness. God is the standard for goodness. And when you and I look to God and we look at Him, we realize right away, I'm not very good. What Isaiah, when he got before the Lord, what did he say? Woe is me! I'm undone. I shouldn't be here. You don't see anyone get before God and say, Hey, this is right where I belong because I'm so good. We act like that, but that's not the case. We're not good. This young man had a bad um, idea or a bad conclusion about himself. Think about this. This young man overestimated his own goodness, and he grossly underestimated the goodness of Christ. As we see and we go further, we keep on reading here, and it says in verse number 19, Thou knowest the commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's number six of the commandments. Do not kill, number seven. Do not steal, number eight. Do not bear false witness, number nine. Defraud not, that can be included in the number ten of the commandments. And then honor thy father and thy mother, commandment number five. So all the commandments that do with how... So remember, Jesus basically said the commandments could be broken up into two areas. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The first four have to do with our love for God. The last six have to do with our love for our neighbors and how we treat them, and we see those before our eyes. As Jesus lists these commandments, the man is mentally checking them off in his mind. Look at verse number 20 here. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Notice he didn't call him good anymore. He didn't call Jesus good again. He called him good at the beginning, but he didn't do it here. Why? I don't know. But anyways, look at what he says. All these things I observe from my youth. This man says, this is a bold statement. I have kept all these things and have not failed in this area. When we think about the word observed, it means to continue to keep a law from being broken. When it says here, he used the phrase from my youth, he was referring to the time that he came of age. A Jewish, the time they had come of age, their bar mitzvah and things as we talk and we think about those things. He was of age and from the time he was a man, he's kept the law. That's bold. But there are a lot of people in this world that would say similar things today. And let me point out to you that there is no way he could possibly perfectly keep all of the law. Especially in light of what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. We think about Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22. You have heard that was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whosoever shall say unto his brother, Rekha, and shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Listen, even if he did a pretty good job of keeping the commandments, there is no way he kept all of these completely. And by the way, this is where a lot of people are today. They think, and this is the idea, that man is instinctively good. Man is not instinctively good. You ask most people how they're going to go to heaven, and their response is, because I'm a good person. Because we look, and in our world, you might be a good person compared to this world, and what this world would say is good, and you try to do good things. But the Bible makes it clear in James chapter number 2, in verse number 10, look at what it says here. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point... He is guilty of all. That means you are, if you offend the law in one point, you ever don't honor your mom and dad, you are guilty of violating the whole law. You think wrong of a woman in your head and commit adultery in your mind, you are guilty of the law. You steal something, a candy bar in the store, you are guilty of breaking all of God's law. And we don't even get into how we treat God in those areas of things. But you see, man's idea of good and God's idea of good are two totally different things. And this man had a wrong concept in this area. And we look at this, and like a good accountant, and as we look at this, this man had all these, I've checked these off, I'm good. That's what he's saying. And Jesus is going to remind him and help this young man out that that's not how it works. And we see number three this morning, we see the response of Jesus. How does Jesus respond to a man who says, I've done all these things. Hey, good teacher, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, and may I just remind you today, as you witness to others, the Ten Commandments is a great place to go when you're witnessing to somebody. That's what Jesus did right here. Because there are many, oh, I'm a good person. Well, I just showed James 2.10, right? Before you show someone James 2.10, Go through with them the Ten Commandments. Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? And that gets people to think. Then you show them James 2.10. And then they look at that and you're like, ah, oh, it makes sense a little bit better there. That's a great way to do it. That's what Jesus did here. Now look at verse 21. And Jesus said, Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Let's unpack this verse, and as we look at Jesus here, and his response to this young man, the first thing that we see is letter A, we see the compassion of Jesus. We see his compassion. Jesus looks at this man and loves him. In spite of the fact of his sin, in, in spite of his superficial spiritualness that he had, the word here for love means strong affection. Jesus lovingly looked at this man, and as far as we can see here, this is, when we look at this, Jesus is only talking to this man. He's not talking to a crowd. He's talking directly to this man. And when we think about this, this man loved his money more than anything else. But Jesus loved this man and was willing to tell him the truth. 
reminds me of Romans 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love by giving us his son to die for us. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. This man, I've kept the commandments. No, you haven't, son. And on top of that, you're lying that you've kept them all because you have not. In the midst of his sin, Jesus loved him enough to talk to him. Let her be. We see the confrontation by Jesus. He looks, he loves, and he tells him what he's lacking. Sometimes, and you, you need to be careful with this one. Sometimes, though, there's people in our lives that we say that we love, but we're not willing to tell them the truth. I don't know that that really shows much love when you're not willing to show and tell someone the truth. And Jesus makes this clear as we look here. We see that Jesus is both tender, he loves the man, but he's also tough in what he says. He's filled with grace, but he's also full of truth at the same time. And we see Jesus says here, and you look at that verse in 21, it says, One thing thou lackest, the word lackest means to fall short, to be late, or to be behind. This man fell behind in one thing. What is that one thing? He put all of his goods before he put God. It's easy to keep external rules, but not have your heart right. And that's where this young man was at. We see, let her see, we, the, we see the commandment of Jesus. And Jesus tells him, look at what he says, Sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Now this is interesting. You say, well, Jesus is telling him if you're going to get eternal life, you've got to go do something. No, that's just what you're reading it as right there. If you understand the Bible enough, and a basic Christian understanding of the Bible is the fact that salvation is not based on anything we do. We believe in a done salvation. The problem was for this young man is his life and all that he had was keeping him from turning to Christ. That's the issue here. And when we look at this, Jesus was addressing a very specific sin in this young man's life. And may I just say, everyone is different. Not everyone has, has a problem just like this man does. We just all have problems, okay? But when we look and we think about this, Jesus personalized this message, and he said, because he was rich, you need to, get, you need to let go of those things. And this man was not willing to do that. We see letter D. We see the calling of Jesus to come and commit. We look at the end there. He says, come, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus was calling him. Hey, you want eternal life? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Hey, be willing to turn from all your goods and turn to me. Hey, young man, there's one thing you're lacking. The one thing you're lacking is your goods mean more to you than your God means to you. And you got to get that straight if you're going to come to me. And Jesus calls him. The invitation is given. He's been told, this is what you need for eternal life. Come to me. Hey, take up your cross. Follow me. Let's get going. Let's come to me, get saved, and then let's get going, and let's get committed to this thing called the Christian life. We see that doesn't take place. 
When we use, see the word follow there, Jesus was calling him to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Hey, today, Jesus loves you. He looks at you. And maybe you're not saved this morning, and there's one thing, and the Lord's letting you know, hey, there's one thing you're lacking. Hey, if you miss that one thing, you're missing the most important thing in all your life. Hey, maybe this morning you are saved, but you're not following him and committed to Christ today because there's something in your life that's keeping you from being committed to him. There's something that you're after that's hindering you from following the Lord like you should, whatever the case may be this morning. What's the Lord telling you? Hey, there's one thing you've got to fix. There's one area, there's one thing that you're lacking in. Hey, if you're going to follow me and be my follower of mine, hey, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to give this up. Because you can see, being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, it's costly. Hey, the disciples, it cost them a lot to follow Jesus Christ. They were willing to do it. And today in Christianity, we're not willing to do anything for God. If it doesn't involve something very simple for me, then I'm just not going to do it. You know, the call hasn't changed. Hey, there's still a cross for the Christian to bear today. We're supposed to get up, carry our cross, and follow Jesus through this life. This life is not supposed to be just sunshine and roses, and I love when it is. But it's a life to pick up our cross and follow Jesus Christ and do what he's called us to do. And this morning, if you're not saved, what's hindering you? What's stopping you? What's the one thing you're lacking that you need to get to Jesus Christ? Hey, Christian, this morning, if you're in your life and you're not fully committed and fully surrendered to the Lord, what's that thing that's lacking in your life that's stopping you from following Christ like you should? You need to fix that. Hey, it's 2022. It's a new year. Second week of the year. Hey, why don't you read your Bible? What's hindering you from reading your Bible? Hey, what's hindering you from being faithful to God this year in church? Hey, what's hindering you today from following God? What's lacking in your life? What's hindering you from following Christ like you should? Let's get those things out of the way and let's follow him this year. Hey, what's lacking this year? Why you don't witness and share your faith with anybody? It's amazing, and even over the past few weeks, I get some people, they complain about different little aspects of the church. Just be faithful. Dive in somewhere. Get busy in God's work, and everything will be all right. Let's just do God's work. When we're busy doing the work, there's not time to complain about the work. When you sit on the sideline and you're just watching, you're going to complain. I'm a big sports fan. I'm a big sports fan. I've even tried to calm down on my sports. But I, and I, I'm a bigger Jesus fan, but I like sports, okay? That's, that's my thing, okay? It's easy for me, and I'm, I've always been a Lakers fan, okay? I've been, and since I wasn't alive, oh, I was alive for some of Showtime, but I was too young to remember any of that. The first year I remember watching the Lakers is when they started being bad for like eight years in a row they got back to doing well it's easy for me as a fan to criticize the way they're playing on the court because I'm just watching it's easy to criticize well they should have passed the ball over there Westbrook should quit running all over the place and quit turning the ball over and get into this spot LeBron needs to just do this and you talk about all these different things it's easy for me to criticize when I'm watching the game 
I don't have time to criticize when I'm in the game. I'll go, Joe and I will go some to LA Fitness and I play out there. I can't really criticize what the Lakers do on the court because I could criticize all day long the dumb things I do when I play. And sometimes people point those out. And I'm like, I know, I see what I do, you know. But when you're on the court, you don't got time to complain. It's funny, sometimes you'll hear some of the guys after the game, then they go back and complain about 10 minutes about what they didn't do, you know, what the other person didn't do after the game. During the game, you don't have time to do it. Hey, in the work of God, if you're busy in the work, we don't got time to complain. We got too much to do. We got a Savior to follow. We got to do these things. But this morning, what are you lacking in? What are you lacking in? This man did not understand his depravity. He didn't realize and he wasn't willing to admit the fact that he was a sinner. And if someone's not willing to admit they're a sinner, you really can't get saved without admitting that you're a sinner. That's what it all comes down to. Many things can keep you from one thing. The devil's very good today at having distractions for the unsaved, but also for the saved. There are a lot of distractions out there. What's the thing that is hindering you from doing what God wants you to do? How did this young man respond? Jesus called him. He said, come unto me. Follow me. Take up your cross. And let's get going. And look at the man's response. And he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved, for he had great possessions. As we look there at that, and we look at, you think about the word sad, it means it's the picture of storm clouds gathering. It's translated as overcast, gloomy, somber, confounded, and bewildered. This man who ran to Jesus and wanted the answer for eternal life got the answer from Jesus, but he wasn't willing. What he had meant too much to him to turn to Christ. And when we get so stuck on everything in this world, we miss out on what's truly important. We don't see anywhere in the story that this young man turned around and came back for all we know, and my assumption would be that this man died and went to hell because he cared too much about his possessions. Jesus confronted him. Jesus gave him an opportunity, but he didn't want it. He wanted salvation his way. The Bible tells us, and, we, and it's a very clear verse. I, we look at it often, Matthew 6, 24. It says that no man can serve two masters. He either will hate the one and love the other, he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. That doesn't work that way. You can't have it both ways. You can't love this world and love God. It doesn't go hand in hand. Because if you love God, the world is at odds with God. You can't love both. If you love this world, you can't love God. That's the way it works. Even in Christianity today, we want that middle ground. We want it both ways. I want to love God and love the world. You can't. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Never has. Never will. You're supposed to love God. If you love God, everything else will take care of itself. Money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. It's good to have money, because then you can buy things, right? And gas prices and things, you need money. But you got to understand, money is okay, but when, what does the Bible talk about the root of all evil? Not money, but the love of money. And there are many people 
who are willing to give up what money cannot buy to have money to buy things here on earth. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't build up a big stock fund for heaven with money. Money is a tool that God's given us to use for his honor and for his glory. But too many people, what this morning as we close and get ready to close, what's the one thing that you're lacking in today? This man was looking for a due religion. Jesus offered him a relationship that was already done. We look at John 6, verse 28, and we see this question that was asked. It says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? You see? And this is always man's idea. What do I got to do? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Christianity is not a due religion. It's done by Jesus Christ. And you believe in him and what he's done for you. As we close this morning, did the Lord speak to your heart today? Is there an area in your life that you're lacking? Is there something hindering you and your following of Jesus Christ? There's something hindering your walk with God today. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. What are you holding on to that you're not willing to turn to Christ for? This man, his possessions, he wasn't willing to turn to Christ because of his possessions. You know, we look at the scriptures. There were others that followed him, right? I believe, and I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, someone can tell me later on. I believe this is the only man in the New Testament that Jesus called specifically that refused and went away. I believe he's the only one. Hey, come unto me. Follow me. Take up your cross. The man didn't do it. He went away sad because his possessions meant too much. In all reality, he had an idol in his life. And today, we don't have a lot of statues and idols that we all worship. But a lot of people worship their possessions, their houses, their money. And when you put those things before God, there's big problems. What's hindering you? What's the one thing you're lacking today? Jesus, in his love, reaches out to you, and he tells you these things. The question is, are you going to respond to him? move forward. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this passage this morning.